Hey, how's it going? This is Craig Cannon, and you're listening to Y Combinator's podcast. Today's episode is with Sam Chowdhury and Karen Lean. Sam's the co-founder and CEO of Class Dojo, and Karen is an edtech principal here at YC. So Class Dojo is a communication app for the classroom. They connect teachers, parents, and students who use it to share photos, videos, and messages throughout the school day. And in this episode, we mention Imagine K-12. So IK-12 is an edtech accelerator, and they now make up YC's edtech vertical. All right, here we go. Well, I don't want to miss this story. <laughs> um. <laughs> we've, got an, we've got a sly grin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is a sneak back up to the top so <laughs> this is not the stringy vest. Okay. So um, little known fact, one of your first investors was Paul Graham of Y Combinator. Yeah. Can you tell us about that meeting? Uh, what what convinced PG to write you a check? Yeah, it was um, it was hilarious. That, that whole thing <laughs> was hilarious. Yeah. So so uh, it was actually it started at demo day. Uh, and I imagine K twelve demo. Imagine so PG, PG was a guest. <laughs> exactly, yeah. guest. It was lucky to be invited. Yeah, mm-hmm, right. Yes. Um, Not uh, running the show. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so so, so uh, and we'd gone. Uh, we'd presented last, and uh, we'd been told the whole time that like you know the goal was to meet lots of people and to get them to come by and like talk to you, right? And, and so. Uh, a good way to do that is to have like good metrics, and we were lucky we had this good growth uh, curve. But another way to do, do that is is uh, donuts. And so I had a box of donuts, and uh, I said at the end that like, hey, that we're we're over there. There's a box of donuts on the table. Like you guys should come by. And so, um, and uh, so so the presentation's finished, and we were kind of milling around. We were at our at our little stand thing, hoping that people would pop by. And who walks over but um, but PG. And he uh, goes to Liam. He's like, "Hey, I re- it was one of the metrics we showed. I think it was an engagement metric." He's like, "I really like that, like the look of that." Like, do you remember what that was? I don't remember the I, exact one. I've, I'm sure I've got it in the. I the, think it was something about every three seconds. Uh, oh yeah, people giving feedback or something. Rewarding feedback. Yeah. Or, oh, maybe maybe I do, you remember better than I do. Yeah, no, I, I don't actually it's remember. It. It's in, it's I've got it in the the, the pitch deck somewhere. Yeah. I'm sure you guys have it too. But yeah. yeah. Um, and so he's like, I really like that metric. Can you show me like the what the growth curve in that looks like? And um, and Liam, like I can't even imagine what was happening for Liam because he and I had we'd like read all of PG's essays for ages, right? This is like like a legendary person turning up and just like having a normal conversation with you. And and and, and so poor Liam was just like kind of like a holy shit, you know? He's like, oh my god, like my 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 idol is here or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Liam's like, well, I I, uh, I don't have it to hand, but I can pull it or whatever. And and PG's like, oh yeah, you could just open Terminal and do it in there, right? And like, and like, but he's like starts coaching him through it. And Liam's like, Liam's like very like he's an amazing technologist, very and he, competent, and, and, yeah. and yeah, right. And then he's like, he's like, oh yeah, yeah, I guess I'll just do that. And so, um, but it's gonna take a while. And um, the donuts kind of uh, kind of bit us in bit us in the ass. Where PG's like, that's okay, I'll just stand here and have a donut. <laughs> and so, so you've got this like high pressure like data extraction happening for Liam, and in the end, Liam's like, "Look, like better than this, I'll just email it to you like straight after this." And so, so uh, Paul gives us his email address, and, and he's like, "That sounds good," and walks away. And so we go home like breathlessly excited. Right? I don't remember like the rest of what happened at demo day, um, and we we craft this email to PG or Liam does. He's like, "Hey, here's the metric you wanted. Look at the growth curve, whatever," and we send it off. And like nothing, like crickets. And we're like, oh, I guess he wasn't like that interested. Like he was just polite, right? But but being relentless with this stuff, uh, two days later, we email him again. And, you know, the numbers were small, so they're growing. Right? We're like, look, it's growing like, like 3x <laughs> in the other two. And again, like no answer. And we keep doing this for like I think the best part of like a week, like every day or two, we're just emailing like a, another chart, another chart, <laughs> like, and uh, and then so from Liam's email, and, and then I get an email from Paul like a week later uh, with one line in it where he says it is customary to respond to offers of funding, and we're like, what does what? this mean, right? Like, yeah. um, Indeed, it is. Yes. Yeah, and we're like, yes, agreed. <laughs> Do you want something else with that? Um, and then we check out, I think Liam has some kind of super juiced up kind of Gmail inbox, whatever. And it's like, it, it's like in a spam folder somewhere. It's like, like two days in, PG's like, okay, I'm in. And like, whatever, I'll write you guys a check and just come around and pick it up. And we're like, so we basically <laughs> like spammed PG for the best part of a week after already having funding. 
Um, and, and then, yeah, then uh, Liam biked to, to his house uh, to pick up the check, which was, which was kind of cool. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I think he was having a nap in the shed. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Tell us about who uses ClassDojo and, and what problem they're trying to solve when they adopt ClassDojo. Yeah, it's, uh, I think it's important to understand like, what, like, why ClassDojo even exists, and then that gets like, the problems that we're actually helping people solve. So the, the, the reason that we started the company really is because we kind of felt that most kids like, don't get the education that's going to make them be happy and successful. And um, That's bleak. That's, that's bleak, yeah. But but what's happy, the good thing about it is that I think like the answer is already there. Like the answer isn't like some magic technology or a magic policy. It's actually um, like education is really a product that's made by people in classrooms and in homes. And so um, our job as a company then becomes to help people in classrooms and homes create a better education experience for kids. And so like that's really like what ClassDojo has been trying to do for a long, long time, like from the start of the company. Mm -hmm. And and so the, the exact set of problems that we've tried to solve changes quite a lot, right? Depending on the classroom, depending on where, where kids are, what kinds of uh, things teachers want to do. But I'd say like probably the, the two main problems we solve today. Um, one is that there's this there's this weird like gulf between school and home. So like kids go off to school for like eight hours a day and a bunch of stuff happens in a classroom and uh, then they go home and a bunch of stuff happens at home and like the, the kind of the two halves of the day don't really like connect and don't mm -hmm. really talk to each other. Um, but that's really like a kid's life growing up. It's like usually like one of those two settings. Um, and it's a bit odd because like in every other part of your life, you're connected to the things you care most about, right? like, like Instagram or whatever. Right? But um, but it's, it's very odd for parents that they're not more connected to their kids for like most of the day. And for teachers who actually really care about these kids, that they don't really get a view of what's happening at home. And so we really, like, that's one big problem we try and help with is, like, bridging that that gulf and, like, creating more of a connection between school and home. And then the second problem um, is a newer one, but uh, it's really this, this, it's kind of like teachers have struggled for a long time to try new ideas in their classroom. So, like, the, the pace at which new ideas get introduced to classrooms is actually quite slow. Mm. And, and it takes quite a long time for a teacher to try a new practice. Um, they might have heard of, like, I know, personalized learning or, like, something like a growth mindset, like a new idea. And it's quite tough. And so we're trying to, like, help teachers try more ideas in their classrooms and make it easier and, and, uh, and faster for teachers to bring new ideas into their classrooms. How does your product make that easier for them oh yeah so the the first well so for the first part we basically just helped teachers share more of what's happening at school every day sure so yeah. teachers could share pictures and videos through the school day home yeah um so this this new bit was from like a couple of years ago um where uh, and, it, and it kind of uh, it wasn't really like a plan it kind of emerged from something one of the teams was doing so we spend a lot of time in classrooms and always have and we kept hearing this thing about social and emotional learning like there are lots and lots of teachers who really want to teach their kids things beyond like reading and writing and maths, um, but like softer skills. And, and it was really tough for them because it's like quite a fuzzy area. They're like, well, what do we do next? Like I want to teach my, kid, my kids about curiosity or, um, or creativity or empathy. These are like important things for, for, for people to learn, but we don't really know how to teach them. And so um, a few years ago, we went down the road to, to Stanford and there's a professor there, Carol Dweck, and she's got this, you know, right? <laughs> I don't know if everyone listening knows, but you know. Um, and she's got this idea called the growth mindset. It's like a really famous TED talk, and she's got a book uh, about it. And it's basically the idea that, like, you're, you know, you're not fixed in your abilities, um, and that through practice and persistence, um, uh, you can get better at stuff. But it's, it's amazing how many kids grow up without that idea really in mind, right? They're kind of told you're a math person or you're not a creative person. And, and these are really like quite limiting mindsets. Um, and so we, we wanted to see if we could help teachers like undo that, like just start with that one idea, see if we could help more teachers share this idea for growth mindset because they'd, they'd already talked about wanting it, like we heard it from them. And so we went to Carol Dweck and her team and we were like, look, if we could get this idea to lots and lots of schools, um, what would we do? <laughs> and um, and we together came with this idea of like made, making short stories, like animated shorts, um, three to five minute little like thought starters or conversation starters for classrooms. 
And um, so we produced, there's the most like hack job I think we've ever done. It was like eight weeks from like the first conversation to getting this series done. We did it all in house. It was like three people in like a tiny room. Um, and, and, but we made this series of like five animated shorts about growth mindset. And they, 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 they weren't really like, you know, you've got the Khan Academy kind of lectures. They weren't really lectures. They're just like stories. And at the end of the story, there's a question. Um, so it didn't really give you the answer. It was just like a story, like teeing up some interesting thoughts for you to discuss. And so we made this series and we put it, uh, we distributed it on Class Dojo. So it, every teacher who had a Class Dojo account, it popped up in the app one day for them. It's like, hey, you can teach your kids about growth mindset. And it was crazy because um, we'd, we'd never done anything like it before. And we didn't know how it would be used. But we ended up with something like, it's, it's something, I think those videos have reached about like 15 million kids now in classrooms, wow. um, which is like nuts. Yeah. Um, and so that was the first time we ever did anything about this, like bringing new ideas to your classroom. And then we did a follow-up with Harvard on empathy, with, with Yale on mindfulness, and, and there's more coming. So it's literally, the teacher says, we want to be able to do this. And you say, we'll create it for you. Or we'll and find experts. Yeah. <laughs> we're like, we, we're, like well, we're not sure. the experts on growth mindset, yeah. but there are experts on it. And if we but can... It's like, not just have, facilitating things that happen in the classroom. It's actually providing. It's actually helping people move classrooms forward. Mm -hmm. right? like if, you really, if you really believe the thing that I said, that most kids don't get the education that they should get mm. um, for now in the future, and, and, and you believe that teachers want to do the right things for kids, then I think it's important to help teachers not just do what's already been done more efficiently, but actually help them do new stuff. Yeah. And how are you measuring the success of teaching a growth mindset? Yeah, it's a really good question. So like the, there's kind of two, there's like an input and an output measure, right? Yeah. And the input measure for us is really just like, do people use this? Okay. Um, and so use meaning like use the app, you watch the video? Yeah, do people okay. watch the video? Do they do the activities in the classroom? Do they share at home with parents? Yeah. Um, and so that's quite a good like, like effort measure, I think. Okay. Um, the, the, the real truth with the growth mindset stuff is that like the output measures, I think are like, like from what we can tell from research, they like take a bit longer. Like they're mostly like psychology research and it takes a bit longer to really see if people's mindsets have changed. So I think like, uh, th there's this question that comes up a lot of like, should you do stuff that people use? Should you do stuff that's like, like high efficacy? I think it's actually like a false trade off, but I think you have to be clear about what today we know how to measure and we don't know how to measure. Mm. Um, and the thing that like we can measure is like, are people voluntarily adopting and using this? Like, is there demand for this? Um, and the thing that's going to take a little time to figure out is like, hey, are, are, is the whole world now having more of a growth mindset? But what we do know is that like, you know, for 50 million kids, they've been exposed to the idea of a growth mindset and they're using the words in the classroom and they're using things like, um, you know, I, it's not that I can't do this. I can't do this yet. Okay. And, and like, that's, that's kind of a cool, like starting point. I think, I don't think we're, I think we're far from done with it. But yeah. Yeah. Great. So, um, from, from the beginning of the company, you've, you've been very effective at, um, talking to your users in such a way that you really understand their problems, I think. And you're, <laughs> and, and, and you're describing now, you know, as the company grows, you're, you're gathering this from your users and, and giving them the things they really want for their classrooms. Can you talk a little bit about how the, in the, in that early stage before you knew what, your product or even maybe your audience was how you figured out how you developed, like what are strategies for developing that deep understanding of your audience? What are some specific things you did early on and that you continue to do um, to keep that connection so you can be building the right things, solving the right problems? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a good one. It's a really important like theme in the company. We talk a lot about empathy um, a lot. I think like, so b before we even came up with like the idea for the first product we ever built, uh, actually, like, uh, I think something people might not know is that like Clastodio didn't actually start, I mean, you remember, Karen, we didn't actually start as like a company. It came really from like, I'd worked in education for most of my life, like in classrooms, around classrooms. Liam had been, my co-founder had been doing a PhD in computer science focused on technology in classrooms. And so it really came more like a passion for education-y stuff. Mm. And when we turned up in California to do Imagine K-12, like we, we basically didn't know anyone in America at all. Like we'd never lived in America. We never worked here. Like we'd met like this guy called Jeff Ralston on like <laughs> a video call once, right? And like, <laughs> like Tim and Alan were on there as well. Um, and, and so it, it kind of enforced um, like a naivety in a way. Like it, it kind of removed any sense of like, hey, we know what we're doing and we'll just, we've got the idea and we'll go and do an idea. Um, uh, so, so it kind of enforced the like, get out and like try and understand what people who are actually doing this 
uh, need. And so the first like four, I think it's like six weeks. Yeah, we were here for six or seven weeks before we launched the first version of Class Dojo. Uh, seven weeks. And in those seven weeks, um, I, I, it was mostly me, but Liam was involved too. I did basically anything to get in front of teachers to get to classrooms and talk to people. And so that, like on the, on the easier side, it was um, some schools publish like teachers' email addresses uh, just on the website. And so I'd like just email people and, and it was kind of a weird email, right? Because it wasn't like a pitch for anything. It was more, hey, like we're the, like I told them a bit about us and I'm like, we'd love to help in any way that we can with whatever you're doing in your classrooms. And like, so what's the worst problem that you face every day? Like, just please let us know. It's like a one, like asking for like a one line response. Just let us know what the worst problem you face every day is. Mm. Um, and so we did the, I, I think I emailed a few thousand people and it was like scraping email addresses. It was like, um, I've had a friend at Teach for America. I got on the email, some of the email lists there. We uh, had friends who were teachers in the UK and Australia. And we kind of emailed just as many people as we could. Um, but the other thing, which was like more, probably like if you'd step up the difficulty a bit, was um, uh, we'd go to local schools. And so like, we were in Palo Alto, there was uh, a gun high school nearby, mm -hmm. and I found a, t a few teachers there who were willing to talk to me, and, and um, I went and taught summer school there, in fact, for like a couple of days, just so they, they, they promised to like, like, hey, if you can, you've, you've taught, if you can come and <laughs> teach like summer school for an afternoon, sure, we'll chat with you after summer school, I'm like, cool, I'll do that. Um, uh, we went to like teacher meetups, there are these things called the ed camps, there's actually one ed camp, which was really like life-changing for us, which I'll tell you about in a minute, but like, um, we went to these teacher meetups and we're just like as much as you can to soak in the context of your users. Like that's what we did. That's what I did in the early days for, for a lot of it. Um, we had a particularly horrific one once where we had to go to Los Altos um, school district and we were like pretty stingy Brits. And so we didn't have like, didn't want to get a cab, like Uber wasn't around then. We didn't have a get a cab. So we like biked for miles in like the steaming South Bay sun to get there. And turned up just dripping with sweat to this audience of teachers. So it was really, 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 yeah, really lovely. Um, Great but, intro. But you, you kind of like, you kind of just do whatever it takes, right? Like when you're two guys in a, in a, in a room um, and you need to get to, uh, to understanding like how you can actually help people, you do whatever it takes. So I spoke to, I think, three or 400 people on uh, Skype calls, face-to-face -face, uh, in those seven weeks and emailed a few thousand more. And then as, as the companies... Um, kind of grown that's just become like an institution in the company like it's I think you know we're only 30 people but um, we may be unusual in that we have like research as a function in the company like there are researchers in the company who spend all of their time talking to teachers um, we have like lots of ways of bringing teacher context in and, and kids and parents now as well but bringing that into the office like it's up like the stories up on monitors like we have community groups where we solicit feedback all the time so I think like that, that that's just like it's an important part of how we build class dojo is that a vestige of you working in consulting or do you think it just like <laughs> fits the company because i saw that you worked at mckinsey and this is a very common question that yeah. we get like hey i'm working in consulting mm. thinking about doing a startup what do i do like yeah. and, and it's like this consultant versus entrepreneur like get your hands oh, yeah. dirty mindset right yeah my, mine is a, a bit weird because like Consulting was kind of the anomaly for me. Okay. Like, so I was uh, in my teens, and Karen, you know this, but like in my, in my teens, um, the school I went to actually insisted that you teach as well as learn. So I ended up teaching for like 20 hours a week for six years from age 12 to, your to 18. Peers. To our peers, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, and many of us That's did. Great. And it was crazy. It was, but it's, it's also one of the most effective things you can do. It's like, you know, the high cost, low, uh, sorry, low cost, high quality interventions is peer tutoring. Mm. And so like, we had this in our school. We had like, I would teach regularly teach classes of 20 to 30 kids for like uh, around 20 hours a week. What you was your subject? That's all of them, right? Like you oh, go across, everything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you'd go across like physics, chemistry, economics, maths. It was yeah. really like one, like really fascinating kind of school. Um, but, um, but so, so I, I taught for like a long time and I got to college and I was an economist, and like, a, like a math person. I thought I would carry on with a PhD in that. And, um, I ended up going to teach straight after college instead. And so like all the conventional consulting banking didn't really appeal that 
mm-hmm. that much. But then McKinsey are very good at the, the, the CRM system kind of follow up. And they're, <laughs> and they're like, they track where you go. And I was like, Oh, I'm going to teach. And they're like, Oh, we're, we've got this education team here. You should come and join the, you know, like do some education work. Really? And they were like kind of advising governments on how to set up education systems. And so, so I went there and I spent a bunch of my time there in education. And, and ultimately the reason you just said is the reason I left that like, I think there's only so long, like if you're used to like getting your hands dirty, there's only so long you can like advise people and not actually do the work. Yeah. And so I think it was, that was more like the, the way that I'd always been mm, consulting okay. was like the, the kind of the left turn bit, but yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> it was good, but it wasn't for me forever. So you talked to these hundreds of teachers and released this first product. Yeah. Um, tell us about the early days of growth. Um, what you think drove that and, and how that's shifted over time. What, uh, have there been transition points where Class Dojo went from kind of this growth engine to this other one? Have you uh, anticipated or managed those transitions? And, and what do you do now? Yeah, no, it's... Um, but t- tell us about that early growth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so we had our first like seven weeks or six, seven weeks or so of, uh, of talking to teachers, like building like little prototypes and things. And then um, week eight, I remember this because it was a Sunday morning. And we'd, we'd put the first version of Class Edge like live for anyone to sign up for. And it was, it was quite early on Sunday. It was something like, I think it was like six or seven in the morning. And um, there was this ed camp in, in Oakland. So an ed camp is really just like a group of teachers coming together at the weekend to you know, talk to each other about like new things they're trying out. So it's kind of like teacher professional development camp. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're doing it at uh, Skyline High School in Oakland. And, um, and we were in Palo Alto at the time. And I woke up at six, seven. I was like, oh man, like I'm exhausted. Like we'd been sprinting all week to get this product out. And I was like, oh, I should probably just blow this off and like be nice to have a lion. And, um, and I, I don't know what it was, but I, I posted, uh, I think it was on Facebook. And I posted like, I also didn't have a way to get there. I was like, I can't bike that far. Like the cab's going to be really expensive there <laughs> and back. And so um, I posted on, I think it was Facebook. And, and um, I was like, Does, is anyone going towards Oakland today? Like on the off chance anyone's going, I'd love a ride. And then it turns out another person from uh, our Imagine K-12 class, uh, Chris Streeter, in fact, um, was. And he was like, yeah, I'll pick you up and go. And I was like, oh, no yes, I guess I'm going to come now. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, so uh, it's a good lesson to, you know, try to like, be the hardest working person in the room, right? But, like, um, but uh, Chris picked me up, went to the ed camp, and um, basically just starting, there was like something like 80 or 90 teachers there. And we, we were just chatting. They're like, oh, like, you're not a teacher. What are you up to? And I told them about this thing that we'd been working on. Uh, about class dojo and and they're like oh that sounds really fascinating and then like two or three of them um were like oh i might i might like check it out and like tell some friends about it as well and so we, we kind of had these two things of the people we'd already spoken with who you can imagine like the most magical experience you could get is someone turns up and says hey we just want to solve a problem for you and then goes and builds something that tries to solve the problem. Like that's like a good experience for you. That's like a very white glove kind of service. And, uh, <laughs> and so a bunch of people got that. That was, that was, that was the, the 400 uh, teachers or so that I'd spoken with. And then this new set were like, oh, that might work for me as well. And, and then they, they started using it and they like tweeted out to like, Twitter was actually big for us in the early days. They started telling like their, their uh, teacher followers and friends about it. A few of them turned out to be uh, quite like influential, like thought leader type teachers. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so by the end of that first week, we had about um, something like 80 teachers using it um, every day. And we were like, well, this is amazing. <laughs> 80 was like a, just an unimaginable number for and us. And this is in the summertime. When- this, in the, this was like the, right at the end of the summer. It was like, okay. the, it was like uh, I think we got to the last week of July or first week of August. Okay, so schools are not really in session. But well, you've got, summer so th- this, is, this one of the secrets was like teachers are already preparing for like what's coming at the end of mm. August. Right? So they're already trying things out. They're already like setting up classes and all that kind of stuff. So this was like kind of crazy. We're like, wow, there's people like actually <laughs> picking this thing up. Um, and then what happened was um, from then through Demo Day, which I think was like, was it end of September. August or early September? Early like September. Yeah. So it was like roughly a month, like four or five weeks or so. And it had gone from like 80 teachers, like something like, like a few thousand people um, using it. And we were like, like, this has just blown our minds, right? We're like, this is kind of crazy that... Um, that it just spread. And, and all of that was purely through the product. It was just like we had, we didn't oh, say through the product. It wasn't like some clever viral flow or whatever. It was like one teacher using it or, or saying this will solve a problem for me and then spreading it to other teachers. And so we'd find one teacher in a school would pick it up and then it would like travel through the whole school. Um, 
and and that happened a lot in the in the early days. So so that was, that was kind of early stuff. It was kind of we weren't we weren't doing a huge amount on trying to drive growth. It was more just like building a good product. But a little bit later, um, the, probably the, the the biggest turning point, and it's it's this thing that continues to this day, was we went to observe a teacher's classroom uh, in Bessie Carmichael Elementary here in the city, and um, her name is Jenna Klein. And uh, so, so we went to sit in her classroom, and uh, we were like, "Wow, this, this, she's a pretty awesome teacher. She's a science teacher, right? Like, she's a great classroom and whatever." And she was using Dojo, and, and um, like, a f- and we thought nothing more of it. We had a bunch of research notes, went back to the product team, whatever. Uh, two months later, I get an email from from Jenna, and she was like, "Hey, I'm thinking of transitioning out of the classroom, and I'd love to come and like do an internship with you guys. Like, would you be up for that?" And you know, we were like six people at the time or something. We were like. <laughs> I don't know what we would do with an intern, you know, like, um, and, um, and we're like, yeah, sure. Like, you know, we've probably got no like support or something that needs doing, like you can come and help out. Um, and so, so she joined for the summer and she's doing a bunch of like, uh, support stuff. And at the end of the summer, we're like, well, I guess she's going back to teaching now. And she, she, she came to me and said, um, Sam, I think we're really missing a trick with, uh, with community. And I was like, like, what do you mean community? Like we've like we're building products, right? <laughs> and and, and, um, and she was like, no, no, no. Like I, I found this thing where like, you know, you'll get one teacher in a school who loves this and then spreads it to other teachers and it's a real pattern. And here's how like the growth rate of like, she, she done basically like a whole analysis of like how schools with, a, with an influencer teacher who's spreading the word grow faster than other schools. And, and she'd got these like, like, She'd, she'd set up like a Facebook group for a bunch of these power users. She'd, she'd done all this like secret work basically in the summer on community stuff. And I was like, um, yeah, like, I guess we can, like, we can extend the internship for a few months and just see how it goes. And, and, but, but this was like one of the big secrets in the company was like the teachers are like amongst the most underserved, I think, people in the world. Like if you think the, the, the average teacher, they get into this job, which is like you know, pretty underpaid relative to most other jobs you could do. It's like often underappreciated. It's really tough. Um, and you're like on your feet with like 30 kids all day. Like that's a really tough job. Um, and so if you can, if you, if you turn up and you're like, hey, we're going to be the people who like really listen to you and help you change your classroom to be the one that you dreamed of rather than, the, the, you know, rather than like feeling like you've got your hands tied the entire time. Um, it turns out they tell people about that. And, and Jenna built this crazy like like not not crazy, I shouldn't say that, but it was like a community of teachers who were just so enthusiastic about changing their classrooms and helping other teachers change their classrooms. Um, so just that, making these well, connections among your users. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. can you can you explain how that dynamic actually works? Yeah, right. Yeah. So you say you're looking for a teacher who will be an advocate in any particular school. Yeah. Right. So how are you finding them, and then what happens from there? Yeah. So usually they'll find Class Dojo, and then we'll oh. support them to like spread the word a bit more. So Jenna made this community called the Mentor Community, and the mentors are basically like our first teacher in every school that we're in okay. uh, who finds Class Dojo. So we we still don't do that much to spread to new schools. Like people, it jumps through like social networks. It's still and stuff. primarily organic. It's still primarily organic, and we still don't pay for user acquisition. So um, so it's all like word of mouth, okay. but. Um, but once it gets to a school, then we really support that mentor to spread the word and to bring other teachers along if they think it's good. Like we don't want, uh, a, we don't want like a top-down implementation. We don't want the principal to grab it and push it onto yeah. everyone. We want it to spread like in a grassroots way. And so Jenna built this whole like um, uh, community, which is like supportive of each other and supportive of like spreading the word. And and that's like a really it's, it's a power it's a community with a purpose, which you class as a movement, and that's like a really powerful thing. Um, and so, so I think the turning point for us was Jenna, and and like if, if strategy one was just like good product, obsessively listening to people and and s- s- uh, serving them, strategy two then was building a supportive community that is excited about like a different future for education. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's like a secret mm-hmm. about the community stuff. I don't think many companies really understand that. Mm-hmm. Did Jenna stay with you? Yeah, she's still with us today. Nice. Yeah, she's she's awesome. Good job, Jenna. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Right on, Jenna. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so Jen is with you, and you're yeah, more than six people, but yeah. you're still yeah. a small team. Still, 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 pretty small team. And yeah. and Class Dojo. So, can you give us a sense of the reach, your reach now in terms of the product? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, we usually talk about the the um, percentage of schools that we're in. So, in the U.S., we're in like ninety percent of K through eight schools in the country now. 
Okay. Which is about a hundred thousand schools or so. Okay. You're in about a hundred thousand. About a hundred thousand. Okay. Yeah. And so there may be one teacher. Or... Maybe one. There's more and more. It's like whole schools. Okay. But uh, it's at, at least one being active. Okay. And then th- this is actually the first year that we're bigger internationally than in the U.S. So we've got hmm. more schools outside the U.S. now using it than in the U.S. So more than two hundred thousand schools using it then. Mm-hmm. Okay. Got it. And about half of those in the U.S. Um, so. So you're you're used by all of these schools, and you guys have raised over thirty million dollars in funding. But you're still a team of just thirty, and um, well, is that unusual given the, where you are? And uh, was it a conscious decision to kind of keep the team at this size and run lean? Um, can you tell us about that thinking and and kind of how you make that work if if that's unusual? <laughs> yeah, I mean. I, I... Judging by the way you're asking it, it sounds pretty unusual. But I think so. I don't know. I'm like, should, is this the right question? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I think it's like the average company would be much bigger in, so, in terms right? of headcount. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I th- yeah, no. It's um, certainly something we've thought a lot about. It's definitely intentional. Um, there's a, there's a few things for me. One is that like I, I think it's always surprising how much small teams can get done, and I think there's actually like large diminishing returns like very very large teams um and so for dojo like we've kind of been informed by uh, there's a great book called team of teams on this on um i I keep plugging this book everywhere but but but, um plug away but yeah it's it's basically like how you create i'm I'm really interested in this as as uh as, as an area of personal interest is how you create high performing teams and this book talks a lot about two two concepts like empowered execution and shared context. And so I think the conventional way of, or a, a conventional way of building teams is that you hire like like the VP who then like issues the instructions to the troops and the troops go and execute. And um, I think in, in like fast moving or, or uncertain environments, it's far more interesting to have a, like a team of leaders who are capable of making decisions quickly and moving quickly. Um, so I think what we've done instead of building very large teams is build like like the, the the thirty people are structured in like even smaller teams, right? Like we have product development teams which are anywhere between like three to ten people, um, a mix of engineers, PMs, designers, etc. And so we um, we try and have each of the teams having like a clear mission that they all believe in and um, and are empowered to execute on it. So they've got all the information they need. So internally in the company, everything is public. Like we board decks are public, financials are public. You have all the information to make like a globally optimal decision about what you should do next mm. rather than like just getting a sliver of information and having to, to march forward on that. And so I think that's actually how you get um, the, like how you get the most from people is when people are like really bought in on a mission they believe in and they feel like the owners of that mission. And so I think we've obsessed a lot over building that kind of culture. I don't think we always get it right, mm-hmm. but um, we've seen great returns to, to really obsessing over like the right kind of culture. And so it, we could certainly do it with many more people on the team. Like, I'm not saying that this is like, you know, this, this is where we'll stay now. Um, uh, in fact, we like our, our first recruiter just joined uh, last week. Um, so I, I've done all the recruiting so far. But um, but um, I, I do think the small team thing is like really undervalued. I think if you can get small, high-performing teams working, you can scale those a lot. And there's actually something that Amazon talked about a lot with like the two pizza teams and things is if you can get small uh, autonomous teams. What is what is a two pizza team? Oh, like the whole team could be fed with oh, two pizzas. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. I can eat two pizzas. So yeah. that's why I do all the podcasts mm-hmm. on my own. Um, <laughs> so what would you advise people who want to adopt that same strategy, but they're also used to doing all the stuff? They're like, I, I want to do all the recruiting because so far I've recruited 30 great people. Yeah. And how do you like, how do you train yourself to let go? Yeah, I think so. Specifically for me as CEO, I think it's the um, there's this great thing in Dalio's book, uh, Principles of like what your job becomes, and he's got this diagram which is based like goals, machine, results. Okay, and uh, the machine is just people and culture, and like from periodically you kind of want to step back and think about like the design of the the machine and like what your role is in the machine. And uh, Ben uh, Ben Dick Evans actually has a good post on this. It's about Amazon. He, he calls it the, the machine that builds the machine. Hmm. Okay. And um, I, I loved it. But I, I think this is like a, it's an important thing to be able to get some distance and reflect on like what the right what the appropriate role for you in the company is. Um, I think actually Sam Altman said this that you get to about twenty five people and your job shifts from building the product to building the culture and it kind of stays there. 
Um, and that's that's so true, right? Like my, like the reason I've just replaced myself with an actual recruiter yeah. um, is that that's not the right job for me anymore. But there are other parts of the culture that I need to focus on and, and build. So so I think it's to answer your question, I think it's um, having a retrospective loop on what your role as CEO is in mm. both designing the whole machine and then your 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 part in that machine. Mm. Okay. What other books have been helpful for you in uh, developing a leadership and yeah, product strategy? Oh, there's a lot. There's um, uh, we have, we have pretty obsessive reading culture at, at, at Dojo. We have a book okay. club every month, and like like every, most people like do I think an hour or so of reading a day at least. But yeah, it's it's quite good. But um, there's been a few. So t- I've, I've talked about team of teams. There's um, extreme ownership is another good one. Um, there's, there's kind of like the, the convention, like the zero to one and, and all like that, the startup ebook, the startup e kind of books. Yeah. yeah that yeah, that yeah, everyone yeah. will point to. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to, I should pull up my Kindle and, 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 uh, and think of what some of the unusual ones are. But, uh, I really love principles when you read it a while ago. Yeah. Um, uh, it's certainly a little bit extreme, but I think it's, it's quite good. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one called the evolution of everything, um, which like the, the main message from it was that I think it's, it's very easy to believe the world is like designed in some way and embracing like emergence in the company for like, for instance, the, the growth mindset videos I spoke about, like that was an emergent idea that wasn't CEO said we have to do growth mindset videos. That was like one of our product development teams like came up with this insight. And now that's like a major part of what we do at Dojo. Um, and so, so that the, embracing the idea of emergence is a really, really important one. And do you draw inspiration from books that aren't about business? Yeah, I mean, there's uh, there's a lot. There's one that I'm reading at the moment called The Diamond Age, which seems uh, which seems quite good. Um, okay. Yeah, I'm quite early on it, but um, I'm, I'm I'm the ones that are coming to mind for me now are the, all the ones that I've read recently. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> That's yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Karen, I have a question. What was uh, what was Sam like in the early days? What do you remember? About him in the early days at Imagine yeah. P twelve, sure, yeah, because yeah, we met when you you moved to America to build this startup, but you didn't know what this startup was yet. <laughs> it was going to be. An it's, it's just valuable because yeah. so many people like listen to the podcast or watch videos, even like the authors you're talking about, right? Yeah. Like, oh, this is Jocko's book. He's so hardcore. He's so How do I yeah. become Jocko? <laughs> yeah. What's the workout plan? Yeah, they're just some guy, right? And yeah. like they're just he was an 18 year old at some point, and the same is true for all of us, right? Yeah. So I think that perspective is would be interesting yeah. if you remember yeah. it. Early days with Sam, I remember, I mean, you're very easy to talk. Sam is very easy to talk yeah. to. And so that kind of stands out. And I think um, was probably part of what made that early learning from customers so yeah. possible. Um, but yeah, I remember, you know, uh, uh, those early months, it seemed like a very stressful time because you <laughs> didn't know exactly what demo day was coming product didn't exist yet the idea was taking form um but sam and liam would just kind of show up and be like yeah we're we're working we're getting all this you know we're talking to all these people and we're kind of wondering what's going to come of this what's going to come of this bet and <laughs> here came Glassdoor. and i have this vivid memory of sam you're, you're talking about your your frugal british nature um sam wearing glasses oh, no, with I only, knew you were gonna bring that only up. one <laughs> side of the glasses was still holding them to his face and the other yeah, side was, was missing bad. and was would think, is, like, is there a word for that like the love of like patching things together in the uk <laughs> like you see it with houses too yeah like, you know you know there's like the idea of like the crazy like british inventor yeah, like yeah, the, yeah. there's like the, like the the one person in shadow ever i think that's actually liam that's not me but like that's i think that's uh there, there should be a word for it yeah yeah <laughs> well, it wasn't quite patched. It was just dangling on the face. <laughs> There's no, no patching. The glasses no. still seem to serve their purpose. Yeah. Turns out you don't need to. Those yeah, legs. Really, really proud, proud yeah. days. That was, yeah. <laughs> and, and what what has changed since you guys just start? Like, I'm sure you had some degree of vision, right, in the beginning, and what you thought the product would be. What what changed? What were some big realizations? Oh man, yeah, that's a, that's a that's a big question too. Um, What's been amazing is like the the core thesis that I said at the start that like I I actually think education is made by people not by technology and the role of technology is in service of people supporting them that thesis hasn't changed like from from those early conversations it became pretty clear that like the best way we could have impact was by serving teachers helping them like connect with the kids and parents and then. Um, helping them improve their classrooms. And that would be a way to both have impact and to scale. Mm. Um, 
but like the product, I think the thing that's changed the most is like the actual products that we've built. So Clashed has never been like a one product company. Um, I think like the first problem we ever worked on was helping teachers build a better classroom culture. Um, and that was just a, just a, a product for teachers to use inside the classroom. Um, later on, it became far more important for us to share beyond the classroom to include the whole community, families, also other teachers and the principal in the school. And so it became much more of a, a networked product than just like a single player kind of thing. And then the thing that changed after that was that network could then be used to share more and more ideas, right? And so that was probably the, the latest evolution. Okay. Um, so it's, it's kind of like the, the product, I think, has changed a lot. Yeah. Um, I think the thesis for the company stayed largely the same. Okay. And was there, um, were there learnings that may be counterintuitive that are maybe, I guess it could be for ed tech specifically or just mm. a startup in general. Um, I'm always curious to see what people pick up along the way that they didn't expect at all in the beginning that you yeah. would, you would advise other founders to keep in yeah, mind. Yeah, I actually wrote some of these down. Let me just put oh, one cool. of these up. Yeah. <laughs> I thought about this one because I, I saw it. Um, yeah, I, I think like what, one of the ones for me was this thing of um, this. We talked about it a bit, but like the small teams thing, because w- the whole way we've always been pushed by investors to like just grow, like you've got to like hire more people and grow faster and whatever. And <clears throat> when you think about this a bit from from the realities of the education world, like you work in school years, so there's no point you being alive for like three out of the twelve months of the school year. You better be around in twelve month <laughs> like chunks. And so I, I don't know if that's counterintuitive, but it's not obvious from the outside. You'd yeah. be like, well, we should just hire people in like January. And then, you know, it's like, cool. But if that means you run out of money in June, then you don't get another school year. Yeah. Um, so, so so that was good. And I think like um, it's been surprising. It's always surprised me how much small teams can do. So that was a big one for me. Um, another one for me was like <clears throat> the, um, the, the emergence thing. I think there's a narrative in Silicon Valley that, <clears throat> like a, a, a you know some some kind of far um, uh, forward looking visionary will like come down from the mountain with the plan and then give it to the troops and like the troops will just go and execute it and, and it may be true right like there may be people who are just that brilliant and like that that's I, I think that is the case in, in a few instances but for for us I think we've got a great um, we've got a lot of mileage out of just like embracing the idea of like your job isn't to like minimize the chaos, mm. but it's like empower people to, to think big um, and to be bold about the things that they, they might do. And the only way you can really do that is um, one, by making the company a psychologically safe place and the team's a psychologically safe place. Like if you're always being judged on like success and failure at every moment, it's really tough for people to, to think big. Um, How do you do that? I mean, because that's an issue everywhere. Yeah. So one actually interesting thing we did recently um, it wasn't so much for products, but it was across the whole organization, uh, was we started a running log of all issues in the company. Okay. So this is really weird, right? And it's internally public for everyone to see. Whoa. And anyone can add to it. You can add anonymously. You can add like with your name on it. Um, and so it'll be everything from like, hey, like the priorities aren't clear to, hey, like we're really like creating too much trash to... Um, what happened with that, you know, that X project that we never heard about. Yeah. And so the idea is that like, you, I, I think we really value building a culture where we can be like real with each other. Mm. And it's never in like a, a hard or arrogant way. It's actually in like the most empathic way that like we all, um, we all think this mission is like really, really important. It's really important that like every kid in the world gets a better education in a reasonable period of time. Um, and so we're all here to do that. And so any issue that's standing in the way of doing that, like it's far better to, to like drag it out into the light where it can yeah. be solved than to like have it fester quietly. And so I think that like building the kind of company that like quickly surfaces and resolves issues rather than letting them fester is, is really important. So my, like for that one practice, uh, it's, it's recent, but you know, we review that log every week. The guarantee is that there will always be action taken on it. Like we'll prioritize it and we'll take action on it, but you can, we do it in Asana and you can like follow along um, so if you submit an issue, you know it's going to get worked on. The, the idea is not a new one. It actually came from, um, there's a plant called the Numi plant, which was the partnership between Toyota and GM. And it uh, went from one of the worst car production factories in Fremont um, to one of the best in the world. And it did it by like really empowering hmm. the people doing the work. And they would guarantee that any suggestion you put in the suggestion box um, would be acted on um, straight away. And if, and if it couldn't be acted on for some reason, they would publicly announce it within a week why it couldn't be acted on. 
And so it's like, you imagine what you imagine a factory looks like. It's not, yeah. it's not that. It's like you just do your little slice of the assembly line and move on. Anyhow, no, I, I'm digressing Absolutely. a bit, but, but yeah. I think that was really counterintuitive that like the, the, the standard narratives about what, what great companies and great leaders do, um, which is, you know, set the vision and tell people what to do is like, we're so far off for us. Um, and there's strong parallels with classrooms. I don't think, I think great teachers don't tell the kids what to do. Yeah. You know, and so it's, so it's, it's a nice like golden thread from inside the company to out of it. That's a great insight. I, uh, I used to work at the onion and when mm. everyone, it's something that's not necessarily obvious, but the onion doesn't have bylines <laughs> and that anonymity is amazing for creativity. Wow. Yeah. Because it's so easy. You're like, <clears throat> I don't know. This like might be a little racy or this is like super weird. Like, I don't know if I want my name behind this headline. Right. doesn't matter. It's all by the onion or it's right. by made up people. Right. That's it's amazing. like an opera. Wow, yeah. 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 That's super and cool, it was yeah. so handy. And so, yeah, to your point, like I think if people could submit, you know, issues anonymously, but also see it tracked. Yeah. Super helpful, especially, I mean, place like YC, same thing. Yeah. Like we, yeah, we could do a better job. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so your product, um, serves a, it's like a, in a sensitive, in a sensitive space, you have sensitive audience, right? You're, um, used in schools by teachers teaching young children and everyone's very interested in, oh, yeah. in what, what young children are touching and, and, uh, what kind of lessons they're receiving. Um, and a few years ago you, you had, you went through some kind of court of public opinion trials. <laughs> yeah. So I, I want you to share about that because I think, you know, every company has to worry about how they're perceived and, um, how, and that court of public opinion, but it's really amplified when you're dealing with an audience that includes when you're serving customers that include young children. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to see, uh, if you could share, uh, you know, a little bit about that story and what you learned from that kind of as a company in terms of how you manage yeah. that side of uh, what you have. Yeah, no, no, to totally happy to share. I, so I, I think like this actually, um, I think Imagine K-12, uh, had an amazing role of playing this. No, 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 in a bad way. Like, like, like so, so like kind of like five or six years ago, right? Like we, there was this co new cohort of like ed tech companies that just like launched into the world. And it was a really like uncertain world for like all of us. I mean, you know, you guys were also building Imagine K-12 and like, mm -hmm. um, and there's lots of learnings there. There are lots of learnings for us. So we did like the, the conventional thing, which was like build a product that people love, get it out to lots of people, focus on that, focus on that, focus on that. And all of us did it because that was, that was what we were, you know, that was the, the conventional wisdom of, of the Valley at the time. And I think, um, uh, it, it was like a few years in, I forget exactly which year it was, but there was really like this sudden, like, oh my God, like there's all this technology in classrooms now. Like, what Parents is it? Going, is it good? Is, is it bad? What is, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like uh, lots and lots of debate and discussion about it. And it really like dragged a few things out into the light for me, right? Because like the, the, the naive way to build products is like, we'll just build a great product and everything else will take care of itself. And, uh, and you, you most often hear that with like, founders who don't want to do sales or for instance, right. But, but this one wasn't sales at all. It was actually like clear communication. And so as a company, which like, you know, we have a lot of introverts in the company and I used to be very extroverted, but more curmudgeonly over time, like, like <laughs> you, you, you kind of forget that like, that's actually like really, really important. Like it's important to do what you say and say what you do and to be clear in your communication. And so you'd had like a few years ago, you had, you know, a bunch of young startups who had suddenly got to scale um, or some scale, interesting enough scale that it was, it was relevant, um, who had like boilerplate, like terms and conditions or privacy policies or, um, hadn't updated the website. And we're guilty of all of these, but I hadn't updated the website to like, to actually describe what you do. Um, uh, or had catered to one audience like teachers, but not to like districts. And so, so like, I think the thing that and we actually met the thing that like started to solve it in the yeah, end for us. What was the what what was the criticism that you guys were dealing with? The criticism was like yeah, no, there, there are lots of criticisms for for I think not not just for us the whole industry, but for right. for us it was like well like what happens with like kids' information, mm. right? Like because the only parallel people ha and there's actually two points here. One is communication. The other is like like what's your business model, right? And so um, the first one on communication is important for everyone. The second one. If you if you go back a few years now, the main example people had was like of business on the internet was like Facebook or Google. Like these are like the companies that often get held up, right? And they're like, oh, like those companies like literally take users' information yeah. and give it to advertisers. 
And so when companies like are working in classrooms, like, I don't think that's acceptable at all. Like that's not like <laughs> that would be a really bad way to build and fund an education technology company. And um, so I think it's really so, so. So in the first, it's important to be clear and crisp in your communication. And I think many of us weren't there. Like we, you know, it's, uh, I know a few of us at least wrote our rewrote all of our policies in like sixth grade language or sixth grade level English just so that anyone could understand them, right? Because legal jargon... your terms of service. Yeah, yeah. because legal, legal jargon is legal jargon and it's like confusing and weird for everyone, mm. right? But if you write it in like, what does this mean? Um, uh, that, like that, that goes a long way. Uh, also being clear, like, hey, this isn't an advertising like uh, company. Your data is not going anywhere. It's yours. You can delete it. You can change it. Like, if you don't delete it, we'll delete it after like X years of inactivity or something, right? Mm-hmm. So, because we don't need it. Like, it's yours. Like, it's, it's not doesn't we don't need it to to, to sell to ads sell ads against. And so then, then then the second thing was like making sure your incentives are aligned with your users. And so for us, like actually the best business model in the world is like also the oldest one in the world, which is like, hey, we'll make some stuff for you. And if you really like it, you can buy some of it, you know, like which isn't like rocket science, right? But like that's all we're saying. We're like, hey, we'll make a bunch of stuff for teachers and for and for parents. And we're particularly interested for parents. We're like, well, most parents don't really have very good choices. Like most parents in the world, you have the choice of if you want to do something good for your kid's education. If you're in the top 10% of the population, you can send them to private school for and pay $30,000 a year. But if you're not, like, what do you do? And we're like, well, if we could give you a better choice to make there, which is also affordable, et cetera, we give you, we call it the education bundle for your kids. Like, would that be interesting? And parents are like, yeah, that, that would be really interesting. And so I think just being clear about these things is something that we weren't guilty of because we're so heads, we're guilty of because we're so heads down, like just building products. Because, you know, make something people want, right? Sure. And you know your <laughs> intentions, but right. everyone but no, else you is have like, to, and, and, and I think, I think it's one of those things of like leveling up as a company where you realize like the scope of your responsibility extends beyond like your own user base and beyond like your team and beyond um, you know, the people in classrooms who we are obsessed with and love. It extends to people who have never touched your product or used it and they need to know too. And mm. that was like a whole different thing. We hired a head of comms that year mm. and she's still with us and she's amazing. Um, but that really like built a new function in the company, right? That we didn't have. As you expand internationally, as you said, you're yeah. now used in more schools internationally than in the U.S. Is that is that kind of changing the communication needs? I mean, you, there are different kind of privacy regimes in yeah. the EU and so forth. It's, <laughs> uh, yeah. What do you What do you see? Yeah, I mean, the short answer is yes. Right? Sure. Like you do the right thing for every jurisdiction you operate in. Anything kind of interesting or you're counterintuitive coming out of that or it's pretty straightforward you just kind of abide I think, by I that. mean it's pretty straightforward the, the rules are all different but they're all in the same spirit right like but in terms of communicating with oh, parent yeah. communities so that mm. or, or maybe I don't know maybe um, penetration in those different countries isn't at the level where you're getting that scrutiny kind of in the press and so on um, well maybe it is I don't know yeah no I mean like I said we're majority international now so I mean, the growth is good but um I think like the EU is like kind of famous for, you know, being very buttoned up on privacy. So there, there's, you know, a while ago there was like, I forget what it's called now, but it was like the safe harbor thing. And then there was the privacy shield. And so, so, so you just kind of have, we have like people in the company who like full time stay on top of that stuff, <laughs> sure. um, which you don't have to think about when you're like in, you know, with 80 teachers. So I think just as like, as the company grows, you have like more of these considerations to take into account hmm. when you're building products. Like our products all go to, and we have like council who like looks them and make sure they're compliant with the different jurisdictions. Sure. But as in far terms as managing the public conversation about yeah. you, has anything interesting come up there that, not that was come, different? Not okay. not not obvious thing that comes to mind. Yeah. I'm I'm racking my brains to think of one, but no, that's good. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> yeah. not an obvious one. I mean, like I think in general, just like being clearer in communication in all of our products like helps everyone, right? It's not like so scoped to jurisdiction. If like if every parent is like, oh, cool, like I get to, you know, share in my kid's school day now, wonderful, and their classroom's getting better, awesome. You know, but we never say those things before, so yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned charging parents earlier for certain things. Mm. Uh, what does monetization look like for you guys in the future? Yeah, I, th- I think we've always had, this is one of the things that hasn't changed from the start, actually. Yeah. It's like we've had the same view on it that, um, so a few principles, like we, we really do want to reach like every classroom in the world. Like it'd be really good if we, like it's one of the, one of the flaws with the current education system is that I've already talked about one, which is that like there's often stagnation. You can't get new ideas implemented mm-hmm. quickly. It's all like, uh, 
what would you call them, like type one decisions, right? They're like big heavyweight kind of like, do we do this or not? And if you can make it like a type two decision, make it really easy hmm. to try and reverse, like wonderful. I think that that's more innovation happen. But a second flaw in it is is the inequality. You know, people will talk about how education in the US is broken. Like it's not actually for a few people. It's really good for a few people. And for most people, like the difference between the luckiest and the average is like large. Mm-hmm. And and so for me, like the the if you're working education, there's almost like a, an imperative to work on the the equity part of it. Mm-hmm. And so we don't want to do anything uh, that's that prohibits us or like gets in the way of that equity argument. So we do want to get to every class in the world. On the on the other side, I, I think like the business models of education have mostly been about selling to schools and districts. Mm-hmm. And this is like slow. It takes a while. It, it you know it, it would get in the way of that that goal. Um, but there's a really interesting observation we had that uh, I think I've already alluded to that like parents like everywhere in the world like for the most part really care about their kids. Yep, it's something we've done for like a long time, right? For like, for, for it's like a it's an evolutionary thing. Almost. It's not just a job. It's just like we're wired to. Care you have about to keep kids. it alive. Yeah. Like the, the small ones, you very clearly. Yeah, have you really to keep do. Alive. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a tiny, yeah. tiny person that depends on you, and so we're like, well, these are also people who are like really underserved, in my view. I'm like, like I said, you you have fairly limited choices. You hope the school near you is really good, and that the specific teacher whose classroom you go to is like that's a really good teacher. Uh, and maybe if you can afford it, you like move houses or move jobs, or whatever, to get to a better school. But like, you know, for, for most of the world's population, that's pretty unreasonable. Um, uh, maybe you can go to private school if you can pay the, the fees. But like, again, pretty unreasonable, pretty out of reach. And I'm like, well, if if we could just create value for parents, enough value that like there's something that they want to pay for. Yeah. Um, that could be interesting. And if it could be like relatively affordable on you know the order of 10 bucks, let's say. Sure. Like a month, like that would be amazing. And so that, that's kind of the, the general direction we've gone, and we, we've, uh, and that that's been the same direction that we've pursued from the start. Mm. So yeah, an, another common question that comes in over the board a lot at YC is how is edtech different than traditional or whatever startups, tech yeah. startups? And actually, probably both of you guys could answer this one. Yeah, Do you want to go after first? you. Yeah. Oh, well, that's been nice. <laughs> um, well, there's like the obvious differences I think that we've spoken about around like, hey, how distribution is different and like the you know, things around privacy and security need to be buttoned up on and how it's not quite consumer or not quite enterprise somewhere yeah. in the middle, I think. But but I think the, the non-obvious one for me is um, is how education isn't, it's not a tech product. It's, and it's really like, because, like, unlike other industries, I think education is really just what happens between a teacher and a learner. And so it's really like a very human creation. And so the role of technology is, is really like to support that, not to like replace it. And the, the analogy I always use for the team is like if you, and, and I think this, this, this is really important because like the analogy I use for the team is the difference between a technical system and a human system. And if you're making like one perfect technical system, like, like a MacBook or, yeah. or a Tesla, let's say, probably the right strategy is to have like a perfect design for it. And then just like sell it to as many people as can afford it and hope it gets cheaper over time. Like it's like design first and then give it and then sell it to people. But, but I think if you're working with a human system, like a team or a classroom, Mm -hmm. like it's, it's actually a really bad strategy to like design something and then just like impose it on people. I think you actually follow the opposite order where you get two people and you help them design the changes they want to make in their in their like the, mm-hmm. their human systems and I, I think that's like a non-obvious but really important mental model difference hmm. yeah. would you agree um i haven't thought about it in those terms but <laughs> absolutely yeah. i think like you said this is human system and you you need to be worried about not worried about but conscious of the fact that it, it's going to have it's not going to be consistent across mm every implementation because you have humans evolved. I would also say, yeah, ed tech is, it, you know, has a, a very compelling double bottom line. You know, companies can get into this because they can, they can build interesting businesses, but they can also have a big impact on this equity problem. That's, uh, that's very interesting and, uh, and, and compelling to work on. Um, it's also, it's also ripe for lots of um, solutions to come in and make things more efficient. I think uh, if we look at kind of the administrative level in education systems, in K-12 especially, in districts, they um, haven't 
been well served by enterprise products that are, you know, they try to adapt into the education system or buy a lot of the legacy education products. So we see a lot of, it, of great companies being built around not being so focused on the classroom, but in this back office, how do we do these things efficiently that we've figured out how to do well in enterprise settings, but, uh, but something needs to be a little bit different in a school setting. And so there's just a lot of room to build mm. interesting companies in this space still. So it's an exciting place to be working in. Yeah, I think that's great. Of that. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for coming in, Sam. Cheers. Thank you. Yeah, good to see you. Yeah. Take care. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks for listening. So as always, you can check out the transcript and the video at blog.ycombinator.com. And if you have some time, please leave us a rating and review wherever you find your podcasts. See you next time.